Hey, and thanks for listening to one of the first English episodes of the Zero Cafe podcast. I started this in 2019 as a fully Dutch podcast, but more and more English-speaking guests keep sneaking into the show. And in the near future, you can definitely expect more and more English content. So I wanted to make things a bit easier for those that are interested in a podcast on Zero, but don't speak Dutch. So what you can do is go to zero.cafe/english, and there you will find all the English content. On that page, you can also subscribe to this Cropuccino mail that will notify you when an English episode goes live. And if you don't mind the Dutch content, you can of course subscribe to the podcast in your favorite podcast app, which will give you all the Dutch and English content. So thanks for tuning in and let's get started with this episode. Um, yeah, my name is Simo Ahava. Um, I'm a blogger, I think, first and foremost, um, that just happens to be invited to speak at events <laughs> for hey, some reason. About Pearl Jam. About Pearl Jam. Yes. Well, I want to talk about Pearl Jam more and more, but nobody invites me for that. Well, have you ever uh, written a blog post about Pearl Jam? Damn, have I haven't. Yeah, that's where you start, right? I know. <laughs> I'll have to... Uh, Jesus. <laughs> Business idea. <laughs> Light bulb. <laughs> Why have I not written about Pearl Jam? Exactly. I'll and then that. we have Tom Wesseling. Yeah, I'm Tom. Um, blogger? <laughs> well, I, I, I won't call myself blogger anymore. I, I do still write articles, even in, in like that tree paper <laughs> stuff. Yeah. Um, English I, magazine? I, 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 yes, that, that's, that's the one. I, I'm more I, a community enabler or something, like yeah, making things happening. Evangelist? In this, in this industry, maybe evangelist too. That's it's tough, tough term, evangelist. I, I, I'm not trying to convince people who don't believe. I'm, I'm hopefully enabling the people that do believe to become better in this. That, that's uh fair enough. Fair enough. And uh, Simo, uh, you had a keynote this morning um, about browsers mainly. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, what, what was your main point? What do you wanna oh, good want, question. The, want <laughs> the audience to take uh, take home from that? Oh, that's a super difficult question. <laughs> question actually. <laughs> so the, the the talk was around introducing. It was like knowledge sharing talk. There yeah. was there was very little actionable stuff. It was more about what's going on, and I think the key point of the talk was that we don't can't afford to be complacent about this stuff. We can't kind of lift our hands and say, "But I didn't know." We need to know this stuff, and I think that it's anybody working in digital at the moment, any developers as well, um, just need to be aware of what browsers are doing. And the talk wasn't about browsers in general. It was about how browsers are implementing tracking prevention, tracking blocking mechanisms which are just super important stuff for people working maybe testing and analytics and ad tech especially. Um, we're feeling it and we need to know what to do about it. Yeah, and Don, you, you run a digital agency that is impacted by this. So how are you impacted by this? How are your clients impacted by this? Well, I think we are lucky, luckily to have like big clients that spend money in, 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 in taking steps faster than the browsers are doing. Yeah. Um, that also makes me feel sad because the smaller challengers, which I really like, um, can't afford uh, these kind of solutions. So they're getting more behind. So the, the, the big fish are getting bigger and the small fish are getting slower. Something like that. That's not something I really like about this whole game. but. Um, so far, we're not really impacted. Um, within A-B testing, it can be a nightmare if we are with a client that's quite low on data. So the effect we need to create is quite big. And if we lose like 60% or even if we lose 20% of the data, 
then the number of wins will go down with 20%, so the business case is less strong. But in the, in the end, for me, it's, it's, it's making decisions based on data. So if you have less data, you've got to take some more risk, but still basing the decisions on that data is way better than using Good the gut feeling, feel. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Well, that, that's actually a super, super valuable point from Ton, because it's easy to go on the conference stage and just blast that everything's going to go to hell, we're going to lose our cookies, you know, women and children first. and it's easy to paint the worst possible scenario. So we actually need people like Ton and we need people working in-house to come and kind of dispassionately state that, by the way, we are seeing the impact, but it's not as big as some people say it is. So that's the key thing. Like we've been painting this future without third-party cookie and we've been extrapolating that to all possible different kinds of scenarios. And instead of doing that, we should actually empiric. We, we work in analytics. We should have data to test what the impact is. So it's very easy to go all knee jerky about it and say that everything's going to go to hell. But we can actually measure the impact. Uh, I, I once did a presentation in a, a UX community in the UK, um, but the title: uh, "It's unethical not to experiment on your users," because. Their opinion was it's 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 unethical to run experiments without those people knowing, which is which is a good starting point. But if you don't run experiments, don't not using the data, then you're just going to implement something that maybe is even hurting the customer more. Yeah, and I had a discussion with uh, with Bart, your colleague, uh, a couple of weeks ago, the first episode uh, of, of this year, and we spoke about uh, the example was uh, uh, that we have an organization in the Netherlands doing all these kinds of campaigns, uh, and they. Uh, I think a couple of years ago or maybe last year they did a campaign uh, next to the highways um, telling you not to use WhatsApp but they didn't necessarily test it while many behavioral scientists might point out that okay maybe in the first couple of seconds they well, everyone agrees, okay yeah maybe I shouldn't do that because that's uh, that might be bad for me but in the end literally at the end of the road <laughs> maybe more people uh, might be hurts or worse uh, and they don't know and so even if your intentions are good you still should be validating if, if it actually changes the behavior in the way you hope then I have the first ethical question um, if your browser or the browser of the user is blocking your measurements but you were receiving an opt-in from the user that you're allowed to, to track that user. Like the GDPR is in place, so yes, you can track my data, you can share it with everyone you want. I do actively opt in on this, but then the browser of the user is, is like preventing this. Is it ethical then then work around the browser solution and come up with like fingerprinting or some other solution to track the user anyway? I don't know. Um, the it's kind of it's kind of different things. The user might not be consenting to a specific technology being in place. They might be consenting that if you do tracking, then go ahead and do it. But if the browser itself is denying the tracking from happening, the, the difficult is not just about an ethical question, it's about an interpretation of intent. It's impossible for the site to know when the browser is blocking analytics, for example. It's impossible for you to know, is this blocking happening intentionally by the user, regardless of GDPR or anything? Is the user actually actively wanting to block GA or is it the baby being thrown with the bathwater? The user has just enabled some configuration. Uh, default implementation. Yeah. So, and the, and the, I know that many people here, and there are companies um, such as Traystock, for example, who are doing a really cool engineering feat, 
but they are erring on the side of, well, maybe the user didn't know. Maybe they do intend that GA is okay. And for me, I think that that's part of the problem we're seeing right now, why browsers are doing this, because browsers don't accept that. Browsers, these privacy engineers are erring on the side of absolute privacy by the user. Regardless of what the underlying intent is, if the user is blocking, we have to err on the side that they're doing that deliberately. That's the kind of, and now the pull is going on between these two sides. Um, are browsers absolutely correct or are vendors absolutely correct? And the truth is somewhere in between. But as long as we don't have a granular way of checking this, then it's up to your own personal ethics. Do you err on the side of respecting users without actually knowing what they are subscribing to? Or are you willing to take the risk of doing this interpretation on the behalf of the user? Like, maybe they just meant to block ads, but they accidentally blocked also GA. That's kind of the thought process. So it's, it's, it's very absolutely impossible to say yes or no to an ethics question because it's always a granular, maybe it depends, maybe not. <laughs> That's like the scale. Yeah. And then two weeks ago, we were at Super Week in Hungary yeah. on the mountaintop, yeah. and then the Google Tech Management team announced finally the, the, the yeah. service ad tracking. And uh, you were finally able to tweet about this. And so you, you tweeted like six tweets. Yeah. And immediately the discussion became on, oh my God, they're giving like this big gun yeah. to people to kill everyone because now we can track everything. Yeah. Can you elaborate a bit on that and your stake on that? Yeah, I mean, just to tell the listeners, like um, my, my point that I was saying is that moving tracking server side is problematic because as long as it's in the browser, anybody can go to a website and audit the data trails. You can see them in the network requests. You can do a objective audit. You can say that this website is, has all these trackers. But what happens if the website only sends a single stream of events into a local endpoint on the server? Endpoint.ton.com. And you don't know what happens after that because it happens in the black box of the server. So. It's, it's, it gets into a very, very interesting discussion because this, what GTM is doing is not new. You've, you've had server-side proxies for years and years and years and years. GTM, of course, being a Google tool, will explode it. It will become like mainstream. So now we have to start looking into, is it okay that all this stuff happens in the black box of the server? And what can we do about it? What kind of tools, what kind of audits can we do? Will privacy advocates have no more tools left to kind of tackle? And will legal frameworks have to implement even stricter and even more um, specialized and specific stipulations in place? Because that's the only thing that can be done after that. So browsers are obviously really interested in knowing what happens in the server, but the current attitude of things like ITP, for example, is that as long as it's just the vendors doing horrible stuff with JavaScript, that's what ITP blocks. But as soon as the site takes responsibility by creating a server-side endpoint or, or doing like uh, first-party tracking, then it's kind of not in Safari's problem anymore. The site has deliberately decided to do this stuff. So then it becomes a, the, a governance problem with the site owners and, and you know, the vendors and the publishers. And they might have to answer to the law. Who knows? It, it was one of the, 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 the two top questions that were asked yeah. by the audience after, after your talk, which we were not able to, to go through. Um, one of the questions was, uh, what is the best solution I could implement now that will no, at least yeah. last for some time? And the second question was, if I'm going to invest money in server-side solutions, will this last for a longer time? Is, yeah. it, is it worth <laughs> investing or not? Yeah. Well, I mean, right now, if you think about GA data and, and first-party cookies like uh, what our A-B testing tools use, um, 
the best solution right now is to rewrite them as HTTP cookies. So, um, and even small businesses can do it. It's not an expensive solution. You can, if you're running Cloudflare, for example, you can do it with your Edge, Edge cache. So basically what happens is that instead of writing cookies with JavaScript, you kind of send them to the server and the server responds back with an HTTP response that has the cookies. And again, because your server is doing this, Safari allows it to happen. The expiration isn't impacted. Anybody can do that. I've written a solution myself that's running on the Google Cloud. There's an article about it, um, which is fairly inexpensive. Um, but then the other question about the um, investing in server side, <laughs> Dude, it's, it's <laughs> totally impossible to say um, say what happens. I would say that if, if things co continue on the current rate, then the server side is going to be good for many other reasons than just being able to circumvent privacy. I mean, we'll be able to reduce a huge amount of stress from the client because the client no longer has to download all these really expensive JavaScript libraries. All it has to do is send the shit to, sorry, send the stuff to the server and the server will handle it. So it's, just, it's not just about privacy gains, it's all about performance gains, but it's, a, it's not a, even a double-edged sword. It has like six or seven edges. Each one is sharp and poisoned, and we need to <laughs> be careful what's happening. Do, do, do you believe that most vendors that are being used a lot, like Google, like, like Adobe, or from A-B testing perspective, like Optimizely, VWO, A-B testing, and so on, that they will come up with a solution that is indeed moving away from the browser and yeah. giving the, op the, the, the opportunity, but also the, the, the responsibility in the hands of their users? So for A-B testing, I really hope so. I've been flagging for server-side testing for such a long time, because not only does it solve the problem of Flickr, and of, of calculating those complex bandits in the browser using pulling data from some endpoint. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a supremely useful solution for A-B testing in general with or without the privacy implications. And I've been kind of working in my mind about writing like a, like a simple node library that would rewrite Optimize to work, Google Optimize to work on the server. But I think they'll be faster than I am, so I'm waiting, <laughs> waiting for them to do something. But it would make a lot of sense. Yeah. Like I think the one particular industry that would benefit from moving to the server side is definitely um, A-B testing and personalization. Because they can just return the correct HTML with all the variations in place without having to kind of calculate that stuff in the browser. Yeah, personalization is, uh, of course, GDPR personalization, yeah. but A-B testing if it's just two split yeah. groups. Yeah. Well, I'm not a lawyer, so but I, I, I fully agree that server side yeah. solution is... But the, but the Everything about GDPR, everything about CCPA, all the e-privacies of the world, the thing is that moving to the server side doesn't change the dynamic in any way. You still need informed consent, you still need opt-in, it's not an excuse. The fact that it makes it a bit easier to do bad stuff is also not an excuse. So it's just a question of, I think that the risk is that many companies will jump at the chance to do this without considering that you still need the exact same privacy safeguards in place that would be if you do browser-side tracking. And I think that it's, it's the responsibility of our industry, our, our events, our consultants to make sure that people say, understand what's happening. The understanding is the problem. It's such a complex field that it's very difficult to know who to follow, who to listen to. It's, yeah, and it's and I can difficult. imagine that for a lot of people then the, the response is, well, that's, yeah. that's wait and see. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I also want to make sure, I'm not pleading here that everyone should shift now to server-side A-B testing. No, no, no. no. Because um, you need to have development in place. If you do server-side testing, your back-end developers yeah. are releasing the code, so it's a different ballgame. So if you want to be fast, then client-side testing has still its advantages. Uh, and before you make the decision, yeah. maybe both 
yeah. is the way to go now. Yeah. And then after a couple of months or years, we will see if client-side is still usable. Mm. Because it's so fast that that's also something yeah. you yeah. should consider exactly, yeah. making a business decision. True. Yeah. What, what would your response be to uh, people saying, saying, okay, let's just wait, wait it out. I mean, maybe, maybe even I tried explaining this to my manager. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he doesn't want me to put any time or money in it, and uh, we don't want to be uh, uh, the one uh, from all of our competitors. They're all doing the same as we do now, so why should we be the one doing this first? Or so you mean just go about as business as usual? Yeah, yeah. Can I, I've heard it a lot, so saying people, well, yeah, we don't see a lot of fines being handed yeah. out uh, uh, right now. Um, or you're talking go about for, for as the usual. legal part. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. but, but the same for the for the browser part that that maybe managers yep. don't necessarily understand the, the impact. That, that I mean, will only get worse or yep. better depending on yep. your viewpoint. But that's a that's a salient point to make. So about the legal stuff, I'm not going to comment. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I, I I honestly think that people should at least put it on the roadmap to be yeah. compliant. Like there's, it's just too risky otherwise. Even for small companies, yeah. it's not just about the fines, it's about the brand damage. If some privacy watchdog yeah. outs you on the public that, hey, this company yeah. is misusing your data. But about the browser stuff, like, I'm, like I would definitely say to wait it out unless you have the money to do like a proof of concept because <laughs> this is the funny bit, which I also mentioned in the presentation, I think is that We've had unreliable cookies for years and years and years and years. Yeah. It's not like it's a, it's a novel thing that our cookies are unreliable. ITP just happened to point the finger at them yeah. and hey, this is unreliable stuff. Okay, third-party cookies are a different different thing because they are definitely being undermined. And the, and the business models built on third-party requests are definitely being undermined. But for our first-party analytics, our GA cookies and our optimized cookies, they've been super unreliable for so long. Incognito modes, cookie flushing. Oh yes, the, the data quality. I, th yeah. I think even this movement of browsers is only uh, going to cost that everyone's going to use better yeah. data. But <laughs> because the, the data quality is really low, yeah. but now we have to worry about yeah. it, and then we have to come up with... But the one, like the one thing that everybody should think about with, with their sites is logging in. Like the log act action of logging in and authenticating against the server becomes so important. Because if you authenticate with the server, you no longer need any GA cookies or anything like that. You can always just fetch some kind of authentication token from the server and use that instead. So you don't have to worry about your first party analytics surviving anymore. So now the question comes, how do we incentivize login if we don't already have it? Like, will every single site in the world have this fake login where you enter the site and just click OK and we'll log you in? And yeah. So it's... Um, or like, like websites like Amazon where yeah. you're logged in forever. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And and when you log into one Amazon portal, you're logged into all of them. So that's exactly. like a walled garden building as well. So yes, I'm sorry. at least cross device also becomes less of a nightmare. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, true. Uh, I, I, I'm going to switch my place with Stino over here because we only have four mics. Yep. So <laughs> no, so we, we, you can also sit here. Oh. That's all fine. Yeah. But yeah, it's a, it's like. Giving advice is very difficult, so that's why I always yeah. try to, especially this presentation, it's so important for me to hedge it with saying that this is not to be construed as advice or recommendations. These are just findings and experimentation. Um, people need to make up their own mind. So our job as educators is to show what the facts are and then let the people adjust those facts to their own organization. So the things that I mentioned there, if you would follow everything to the letter, you would be unable to do very much anything with the website because you'd be so scared about all the things that browsers are doing. But you take that information and you kind of model it to whatever your organization is capable of. Some of those things are really expensive. Server-side tracking for a large company is not free. It's, it's the, the scale 
of cloud computing in those numbers is, can cost like thousands and thousands of dollars a month. Um, and even for smaller companies, the, the barrier of entry is, is quite high. But um, you just have to make the decision. And some, for some companies, it's going to be waiting it out. And that's fine. Yeah, as long as you're aware of what the roadmap with the browsers is and what the roadmap with GDPR and CCPA and all these initiatives is. You just have to be aware of stuff. Yeah. What and um, you just mentioned, well, it's, it's basically business as usual. Mm -hmm. uh, it doesn't change that much uh, for us. Uh, but we have a new guest on the table, Stain. <laughs> Welcome. Thank you. Um, you're you're going to end this day, this conference, with the talk, the end of analytics. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the end of analytics as usual. As usual, yeah. yeah. That's a really good add-on, because it's especially what Simo was saying also, but don't mention it, Google Gadon. It's just new opportunities, and the market is moving forward, and indeed, the end of analytics. Yeah. yeah. And we're going to have to make, make a new step into new analytics. So looking forward to the talk. Exactly. So, so it's very much about this entire thing we have with Firebase and the entire protocol changing and our new approach to analytics. So we have some infrastructure things in the browsers, but we also have a completely new way of thinking analytics and the way we work it. So mm. that is opening up a massive opportunity, but it's also a big reset for a lot of people. So well, I mean, it's completely new, but it's also quite old. Like yeah. the event stream analytics isn't... It's kind of a hat tip back to the days before uh, user-based analytics and sessionized stuff. So, yeah, but for a lot of the people here, it's like we are a lot of the analytics people are session-based thinkers, right? So going back to an event-based approach, it's a major change. Yeah, and, and and they're afraid. So the the, the Booking.com keynote was uh, talking about when she entered the company, Maria. They were shifting from the old analytics setup to the universal analytics setup in Google Analytics. Yeah. And everyone was like, oh, this is, this is a nightmare. What's, uh, we're going to lose all our data. It's, it's the same with this step again. Yeah, but this is actually much worse because the, the, from traditional to universal was still the same, the same structure, yeah, data yeah. model, right? This is a completely new data model and way of thinking because it's, it's building on the app way of measuring things where it's not, not linear build around pages. Yeah. So that gives massive challenges. And, and I like it because it's a raw data stream. You can measure everything. <laughs> it makes so much more sense than have this aggregated thing on top of it. <laughs> yeah, but, but for my part, it also needs for, for, for everybody to, to kind of, if they want to use this, they have to step away from a vanilla approach and just implementing and actually start doing a data strategy in relation to their own business saying, what is it we need? So I see that as really crucial because otherwise they're going to miss it and they're just going to try to recreate what they have. It's like, say, it, I used to have a car and now I got a helicopter, but I still just drive on the roads. <laughs> <laughs> so what's going to be the takeaway uh, from your talk uh, this afternoon? You, you don't have to uh, worry about sporting. We only have <laughs> listeners at home, so they're not here anyway. So. <laughs> So the main takeaway is that besides all the other problems we have, we have a, a burning house with the, with the browsers. We, we also have a burning car with, the, with, the, with, with this entire tracking structure. We, we have some issues we need to attend. And we need to attend it now. So, so it's not a big problem because we have time in relation to the move to app and web. But it will become standard. And we might as well start preparing and start building a data set so we will get some practice. So we will have some data, so we will start having the discussions of how we're supposed to do this. So parallel tracking and setting that up and, and messing with the, messing, playing with the app and web data to see where it takes you. 
Is, is that the big message from this year for analytics? Because we, we were all at Super Week two weeks ago in Hungary. Yeah. And uh, the organizer is making this documentary and the questions he was asking to probably you, you also. Yeah. At least the question he was asking me in the, for this documentary was, um, are, are we going to die? Is it the black future? Are all the dark, <laughs> dark questions. Yeah. Like what's, what's going on here? Yes, yes, yes we are end, all yes. going to die. <laughs> <laughs> but not until the end. Uh, I think in the meantime, it, it is a big question, but so my approach is saying I've done analytics for 20 years now. And for me, the, the world has ended in analytics a lot of time in those 20 years, right? 27 times, yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so this is just another way and another approach to adapting to change. But, but this change is actually really positive because if we use the things that are in App and Web and we go and think beyond just the tracking part, but also the, the powers that are in Firebase in relation to activation, then suddenly this becomes about orchestrating the website. You can do A-B testing, you can do t uh, targeted messaging, you can tie everything together and it actually builds on a lot of other stuff. I, I just want to get us out of the, one thing I want to get us out of is the solutionism trap. So, Atlas Web, for all the good it does, and I do agree that it's a, it's a paradigm shift in how we do mobile analytics and, and soon web analytics as well, I think. But, it's still just a tool, and if the organization is crap and immature and unable to do basic analytics with GA, Atlas Web is not going to save them, it's just going to put them deeper in the quagmire. So, that's the, that's the one thing that's been constant throughout these years, is that bad organizations do things badly, and good organizations do things well. Yeah, and what scared me a bit at Superweek, there were many discussions on ethics, yeah. which are really good from, the, I think there are many experienced practitioners at Superweek, yeah. ethical discussions, but if you take these discussions in your company, the company is not ready for that level yeah. of thinking on analytics. They have to make more steps before they get to that level. Uh, and so, so indeed, uh, if you get a Ferrari to a company that's not able to drive a normal car because they don't have the driver license, then, then don't, don't bring the Ferrari and first train them to drive the car. Always bring the Ferrari if you have a Ferrari. <laughs> <laughs> Are you kidding? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so well, but, but, but I think you're right, but at the same time, I actually think that it's part of the process because the maturity of analytics in the place now that we can do a lot of stuff with data, and data can do a lot of harm if we are not careful. So the ethics discussion is something we need to have and actually ties strongly into the cookie things because if we have an ethical approach to our tracking, I believe we will not be the companies who will be challenged by, by the limitations because we will actually be having a behavior that is thinking within the, the, the I, 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 I fully agree. There's an opportunity to make a new setup for analytics and how it's being used in the company. But I, f I believe if you're at a certain maturity level, if you're too low, then Absolutely. take the other steps first. Yeah, yeah, yeah I agree. So, but it is going to be required in, in a not too distant future. Yeah, if you, if you are booking or even in another like ING, the, these are the type of discussions you could have and yeah. rethink your whole analytics approach. Yeah. So you've all visited uh, Super Week in uh, Hungary uh, last week, two weeks ago. Two last week, two week, two yeah. Two yeah. Two. yeah. So what was the, was it the main theme of the of the conference too? It's, it's a rather small conference, right? Like 180 people on top of a mountain. That's what that's I quite heard. Few, that's, I, I think it's more like five or six hundred now. It's oh really? a lot of people. I, I don't know. I only counted Maybe people. Much more. I only <laughs> counted people in the room, and in the room are I think max two hundred people. But oh, okay, throughout so the whole okay, week, okay, people okay, so will go in and go out. Okay, okay. But ah, it okay. is five days so of analytics, right? So, so yeah. I guess it would be like five hundred across okay. five yeah. days. So you have like programs that start well a little late because there's uh, yeah. 
yeah, but also an yeah. even program. So 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 you will start around ten, but the, on some days the the, yeah. the the program ended around eight. Okay, but I, I, like privacy and data ethics are definitely emerging like all yeah. over the place, yeah. and and they used to be when GDPR came out. It, the topic was about GDPR specifically, but I think p things are moving to a more generic position mm. now, which is good. We're not talking about individual frameworks, we're talking about the general attitude towards ethical data collection, and especially with all these data breaches, these incredibly huge data breaches, like hundreds of millions of emails being exploited. Um, it's just become part and parcel of what we do, and this kind of thought process has shifted away. Wow, we can collect whatever we want, do whatever we want with it. To shift it naturally to maybe we should think about what we're doing, and I think that's a very healthy. Yep. So healthy I've thing. used the metaphor sometimes when I've been talking to people about this, saying that we have had the privileges for some years of being like kids with keys to the candy store, and we've been been in the candy store and we've just been eating candy and throwing it around and not really being careful what it's been, what's supposed to be used for. So, so now somebody locked us out of the candy store and given us a budget. Mm. <laughs> so now we have Bastard. to rethink what we're going to do with this data and how we can actually work it. I think, yeah, that's a, yeah, an important thing because it limits us in relation to where we work. Mm. But, but we have also been, oh, not us at the table, but we have seen people who have been data picks gathering all they could in data but not really doing anything with it. No, totally me. Yeah, just because I, they I have Totally to, me. I, I have to fill my data lake, come yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's, it's an obligation. A, a data pond now. Yeah, yeah, or, or a data swamp. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, we, we are absolutely, uh, yeah, data lakes are all the rage. Let's just collect all that stuff and see whether one day we'll be able to use it. Yeah, but, but also, Stan, so how, how would kidding. you advise the people that say, okay, the, 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 the bigger companies have, have the money to do this, uh, but I'm a web analyst at a smaller company. Uh, I cannot convince my management to put any money in this, or at least not right now. Their, their approach is more like, okay, let the competitors figure it out first. Mm. <laughs> um, so I think part of this is, is with, the, with, the, with the combination of ethics and, and gathering data and activation, you're actually in a place where the, where the analyst becomes a business orchestrator or data orchestrator, making sure that you can actually do things. So it's not now it's moving from a situation where we're just gathering the data to we're also activating it. And that is the, probably one of the major shifts that, yeah. that, that we see with us. Yeah, so, so let, we, we need to translate this to, into the benefits of the company instead of... Yeah, of well, so, so technically even the, the lone web analyst can now set something up that will, that will make the company money. And that is changing the story of what the web analyst does. Yeah. Been, yeah. So I try to change the perception of being a web analyst to be a data-driven business developer because that is the value for the organization. Yeah. Right. Okay. And um, I, have a fun, I think Tom has to leave right about now-ish. Yeah, because so he might the, the, the rooms are starting <laughs> in 10 minutes. Exactly. I do need a sandwich before I can also <laughs> next week. You'll, you'll, you'll get that. Uh, so my question will be, so are there any uh, um, developments uh, in the market you expect to, uh, to happen in, in 2020, either on software or legal or something that impacts our market that you're either looking forward to or... <laughs> Did you listen to what we were talking yeah, about? Yeah. <laughs> I think no, that's, that's the only any, thing we'd be talking so about. Any other... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah, no, my, my, my mic and my no, headphones no. are definitely on. <laughs> totally. No, I, yeah, so, so I think just continuing this trend <laughs> that we've been talking about, so data, more sophisticated data collection tools that are also kind of but taking into account the, the, the server-side stuff, like things that TraceDoc is doing, for example, 
I think there's going to be a proliferation of similar solutions. So moving to this kind of quasi-server-side hybrid setups, yeah. where the browser is a client-server stuff. Um, I think we're going to see more of those, at least in the near future. To make the transition a, easier? Yeah, make the transition easier to solve a very immediate problem, which yeah. is the browsers doing like blocking client-side. But I'm not sure if how long they're going to survive, um, yeah. considering how fast browsers are moving. But also, like we're going to see a lot of tools around auditing, like auditing same-side cookies, auditing third-party cookies, creating reports, developer tools designed to help you kind of go over your client-side state mechanisms, crawlers that go through every page and check what cookies are being dropped. I think we're going to see more of those. I, th I think there's going to be a... Because we need that information to convince our managers. We need to show yeah. them that, hey, okay, you don't have the money, but you still have the money to throw away to this advertiser who doesn't actually use it because we don't have any cookies left. So yeah. I think that's... You, you say that the uh, browsers are moving fast, but mm. I think one of the most popular browsers, Chrome, is actually... Chrome's moving super, super <laughs> slow, but they are moving. So, so one thing to, it's fun to make fun of Chrome because they're the odd one out with tracking protections, but what they are doing is they are, are actively participating in these discussions. And the problem with Chrome is that because they are a market leader, for them to do something basically necessitates it becoming a web standard. So everything they do requires like a cross-browser consensus. So that's why it's moving so slowly. I'm not defending them. They could have done a lot of things already right now, but I do sympathize, especially with their privacy engineers. They might be, they might have the will to make things happen, but they have like corporate responsibilities, business in, uh, incentives, and then there's the whole antitrust world where if Google suddenly blocked all third-party cookies without an alternative, they would exclude all other ad tech and just enjoy their own little first-party world garden. So it's it's not. A, I do sympathize for Chrome, but I think they are actively trying to build things the web standards way, which is just much slower, but it's also more better for us because all the browsers would agree, at least the majority would. So, no, so I also think that we're going to see, like, also in part to this, say Chrome is waiting because changes are coming. I think we're going to see, like, it's going to be an intense tango of workarounds of somebody doing a workaround and then the browser's doing an update and then somebody mm. doing another workaround and so True. this is moving back and forth so so the standard of tracking is really in flux right now so so for google to go and do something that would push a major shift in relation to workarounds so right now they can kind of let things consolidate and then hopefully Move to yeah, yeah and usually for the market leader, it's, it's the least interesting. Yeah, yeah, to be moving first, right? Yeah. So, exactly. Yeah. Let, let, let's not go into the advertising income, hardware income, <laughs> Safari <laughs> discussion. That's a whole different topic. Yeah. But for this year, I think uh, having a center of excellence on analytics, yeah. which was one of the topics also at Super Week. Um, there's a big opportunity for that because yep. uh, uh, the data quality, being able to measure data, track everything, it's going to be harder and harder. So if you have a center of excellence democratizing analytics and uh, quality assurance on, on analytics, that's an interesting move, I think, because in the end you want to have more business uh, units or product teams or market teams use that data. So it must be easy for them to use the data and the data quality should be good. But they are not the experts in collecting data, which is getting harder and harder. So I think that center of excellence perspective is an interesting one for the bigger companies. Yeah, exactly. Um, Tom Wesseling, Simon Hava, Steen Rasmussen. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a great conference. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, Thank you, Thank you very much. much.